This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. Golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original series. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore, and it is time to go back. To go back, Ken, to the beginning. Fifty years ago today... The national broadcasting company, NBC, launched Star Trek with this episode, The Man Trap. Zach, I have to say this was a stroke of brilliance on your part. A commentary show on Standard Orbit centered on the very first episode that launched Star Trek into history on this very day. That is very, very... Uh, when you came up with it, I'm sitting there going, Duh! <laughs> Why didn't we think of this before? Great idea. Well, thanks, Ken. I, I appreciate that. It just, you know, being on Standard Orbit, we're in a unique uh, place here on the network because, you know, we're celebrating 50 years of Star Trek, uh, 50 years of the original series, and then we have movies coming out, you know, so it's, it's, this is a great show to be on. So I'm happy to, I'm happy to be in our, in our phase three settled in here as, as the new, uh, new hosts of Standard Orbit. So it's, it's exciting to jump into this, uh, the man trap. Now, obviously, the man trap was the, uh, the sixth episode produced. From the obviously, as if you know, look, if you guys are <laughs> subscribers to a Star Trek podcast, you probably know a lot of this, <laughs> a lot of this trivia, but we're gonna say it again anyway. Uh, but uh, even though it was the sixth produced, it was the first broadcast, so this was Star Trek's first exposure to the world, uh, 50 years ago today, September the 8th, Star Trek Day. So that's right, and, and, and you know what, I'll tell you, Zach, it's it's important though, I think, to, to even though most of our, if not all of our audience knows a lot of these facts. We do have a lot of new people that are into Star Trek now. And I think that uh, as we get closer to, as, as, as it got closer to this date, let me put this correctly, that there's been a lot of hype. Um, there'll be more hype. Uh, Facebook will be lighting up as it, as it will throughout the day. It's, it's special. And there'll be a lot of attention to this. And I think it's, it's a wonderful thing. There's, there's a lot of fans out there that are, are younger and while they've probably seen a lot of these episodes before, not a lot of them have seen them in chronological order unless they have the DVDs or they watch on Netflix and whatnot. So it's important to note this history. This is, this is a milestone day. This is when Star Trek broadcast itself. Like I said, it, it has been a living, breathing phenomena for 50 years, which is incredible. And uh, let's enjoy this commentary more than others because this is the one that started it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how this commentary is going to work is uh, we're going to queue up our, our player, be that, you know, and you do the same at home, uh, be it DVD or Netflix or Laserdisc. I actually have the original series on Laserdisc. I actually watched Man Trap last year 
on uh, September the 8th on my Laserdisc. So, <laughs> but that's uh, incredible. Okay, <laughs> the entire original series on Laserdisc. Yes, and uh, you know you can either you know do that, queue up your player, watch along with us, or just listen to it. You know, as as a background audio commentary. You know, some of you guys know the episode well enough. You probably don't need to watch it again, <laughs> but it's uh, you know it's always fun to be able to experience it in new ways. So uh, we, when we give you guys the cue, we're going to count down uh, three, two, one play. And so when we say play, press play on your player and we'll start the commentary. How's that sound, Ken? Sounds good, sir. Take us out. All right. Three, two, one play. And we're off. Yep. So what do you think of that? Met Jeffrey's design starship. The first time that was seen for, uh, for all these audiences on NBC, huh? I, yeah, the uh, the design of the Enterprise very unique for the time. Didn't have any rockets. Didn't have any you know tropes of other science fiction. Uh, very unique design there. So, are you watching the remastered version or the original version? Ken? I've got the remastered version. Me too. Me too. And even with the remastered version, it looks like a very large orange wall now that they've <laughs> yeah. landed on the planet. Yeah, the HD doesn't really do that any favors. No, it it doesn't. Notice, notice there's no red shirt, that, although this guy here, the, the third guy, uh, mm-hmm. he is the equivalent of a red shirt <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess he would be. We have Kirk giving McCoy a hard time about them. They beam down to meet uh, a scientist and his wife, the wife being uh, one of McCoy's ex-girlfriends. So interesting that, you know, this is the first uh, episode of Star Trek broadcast. It's a McCoy episode. You know, and McCoy is not even in the main credits yet. You know, I mean, he's he's in the the the, the end credits with like Scotty and Uhura. Yet he's uh, he's the focus of this show. It is interesting, and I'm I'm not sure of the history, Zach. Maybe you know a little bit more. Why did they choose to broadcast this one first? Was it the the monster of the week element, trying to get people, um, you know, surprised and kind of what they're used to with a sci-fi show, and kind of walk them into what the show was going to be? Well, there were a lot of factors. I mean, they had where no man has gone before was in the can, but that and that's actually my favorite episode of the original series. But it would have been very misrepresentative of the show itself, right? The, the costumes mm-hmm. are different. The cast is not set, so you can't really show that one. Uh, right. Corbinite Maneuver was produced first and really works as a great introduction. But I think two factors: one, the special effects weren't ready for that, right. and they wanted to get the crew off the ship onto the ground, like you said, like kind of an action monster of the week environment. Uh, so that's why they went the man trap because your other options would have been, uh, uh, Mud's women. Not really. You don't want to start off a show with that, in my opinion. And, uh, then, uh, uh, enemy within or naked time. Those are very deep personal kind of stories, a little too, too specific. So, uh, th- th- this is a good way to ease audiences into this new idea of Star Trek. So, yeah, well, it makes sense to me. I, um, it, you know, it, it's funny now because I listened to uh, melodic tracks and, and when we were down in Las Vegas, uh, we met uh, Bichet's friend Andy there who um, who does the, the music for Star Trek Continues. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, I'm listening to the floats and the notes and everything that's popping up and it all has a different relevance now, you know, because I've heard it talked about so much. So it's funny how much more complete all this is. Yeah, Andy Ferber is a great guy. I talked to him a lot at at the Las Vegas as well. We'll have to have him on, on the show. He, 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 uh, he told me that he has a PhD in TOS. So, and he'd be happy to come on the show. So we'll definitely have him on to talk about some of the music. Cause great music. You would not hear music like this underscoring any scene on a TV show today. You know, 
No, no, you definitely wouldn't. It was very unique. And yeah, it is It is good to bring on those folks that have that kind of knowledge on the show, although it can be a little intimidating at times. Interesting here in this scene, you know, we have, uh, we're establishing that Nancy Crater looks different to all three of the men of the landing mm-hmm. party. You know, McCoy sees her as, as, the, as the young woman he knew years ago. Kirk sees her as he expects to see her as a, you know, middle-aged, late middle-aged woman. And then uh, this blue shirt, red shirt guy sees her as some girl from a pleasure planet, which is a very inappropriate thing to say <laughs> when you meet someone's wife on a planet. I know. <laughs> yeah, that is a wee bit inappropriate. I and suppose. that's that's the teaser there. That's so that's that's it. We 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 you know nothing. No one has died yet. Nothing crazy has happened. We just this this uh, relatively horny individual has followed a beautiful woman off into the <laughs> into the wilderness. So we're gonna see what happens to him when we come back. And I can tell you, you know, that never happens to a sailor on shore leave. So it's, 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 you're going to have to suspend disbelief and just imagine that that could possibly happen after being on a ship for, oh, I don't know, many, many months, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, interesting beginning. Uh, this, this is, it, to me, it's, I wonder how audiences watch the show. I mean, right in today's world with social media and, you know, we, we have a very different lens on Star Trek because we've seen these shows a hundred times. You think they would have noticed the difference in the aesthetics between the man trap and where no one has gone, be- no man has gone before, or Cobra might maneuver? I, I always wonder if they go, hey, what you know, what's going on? Why is Spock different, or is it because it's week to week and it's new? It gets right past you. Well, you play him as the third episode, right? Uh, where no man has gone before. Uh, mm-hmm. Here's a here's a, if you're watching the remastered shot. This is the new shot for the remastered episode of the expanded land landscape. It's nice, but it's weird enough to have it as the first episode but then you can say oh okay this came before the rest but to just randomly show it as a third that's even even stranger yeah yeah no i understand i understand i like how they would divert a um a starship a thousand foot long starship 400 some odd people to give a medical exam to some people out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> just yeah. that, that concept in of itself is pretty interesting. They were just on the way, I guess, huh? I guess. Uh, and of course, the the wonderful reaction. Which you'll get as required by the book. Well, that's right. You will do this. So interesting here, uh, you know, we hear the captain's logs. The captain's logs were something they were added, actually, after the fact in this episode. Uh, a lot of my trivia, by the way, from this episode comes from Mark Cushman's uh, excellent book, These Are the Voyages, Volume 1. I bought that. I got to make, meet Mark and buy his books at uh, Star Trek Las Vegas. Uh, so that was cool. They've been on my wish list for a while. It was a perfect excuse to finally uh, dive in and get them. And uh, they were they, they were talking about the, you know, the captain's logs. And in these, in these early episodes, I know for a fact here and in, uh, in The Enemy Within, uh, they're actually set in past tense, which is interesting um and actually makes a lot more sense because it's as if you know the kirk after this mission he wrote his log and and you're and you're hearing his log at the appropriate times as opposed to like later on in the show they're uh like oh we're currently been captured in a jail cell by it's like where are you recording this sorry (laughs) it really didn't make, (laughs) make a lot of sense so it makes more sense now yeah, it does. And, um, you know, it's interesting if they had kept with that concept, I think it would have been very interesting, although it could have taken away some of the drama if there's peril, right? Because then you hear the voice and then your body says, oh, I mean, your brain says, oh, they're going to be okay. But, you know, it is a storytelling adventure. And I think that um, 
they probably could have done some sort of a mix, I guess, you know, on how they could capture this. I right. don't know. It's it's interesting, you know. But they've gone beyond just captain's logs to personal logs to medical logs to first right. ca- first officer's log, um, you know, twenty seven officer sixth removed log. I mean, it just gets um, it gets interesting how they do all this stuff. But uh, I can I can tell you though that uh, there are such things as ship's logs and departmental logs. And even today, uh, with all this technology, there's still green books, and um, and sailors and officers still to this day write those logs uh, at whatever time interval that they're supposed to be done, whether it's by hour or by day or by whatnot. So it is interesting that uh, that still that still continues, and it happens well into the 23rd century. Mm-hmm. All right, sounds like uh, some like somebody something's happening outside. Let's see what's up. That's not suspicious at all. No, no, not at all. Did he just reach right into his mouth and pull that out? Yeah. Yeah. That's the first thing I do when I see somebody down. Now, I, now I know you're supposed to follow the ABCs when somebody's down, right? See, Kirk takes this very seriously. You know, he's like, I just lost a man. And we get to the bottom of this. You know, I think people have the uh, um, misconception that, like, oh, red shirts are dying every week. And say, hey, it's just part of the job. But, you know, whenever Kirk loses a member of his crew, he takes it personally. He takes it seriously. Yeah, as he should. As you should, right? That's right. So now uh, McCoy and Kirk are both seeing Nancy as the, as the middle-aged Nancy that Kirk has seen her as before. And McCoy is now as well. Oh yeah, he's trying yeah. to adjust it, his eyesight a little bit. Yeah, because yeah, you know that first scene was actually you know it's it's very interesting to see the different points of view. I mean, it's a pretty pretty unique thing for the '60s at that time. I wonder if a lot of people caught that. It was pretty confusing um, for them. And then, and then also, you know, this uh, the the M113 creature, the salt vampire. It's not a shapeshifter in the traditional sense. It's it's a mental kind of projectionist. Um, shapeshifter. Have you ever seen the the TV show Heroes, Ken? Yes, yes. All right, so you know the first season. There's there's that there's a character like that who uses you know mental projections and uh, that uh, uh, to to shapeshift, so to speak, right? And so mm-hmm. the it's not, she's not physically changing, but it's the projection she's sending to other people, and uh, that is what uh, that is what the M one hundred thirteen creature is doing here. <laughs> How did you come up with that name? Well, that's the name of the planet, M113. Ah, okay, M113 creature, yeah. okay. So we're here to say, this, this, these are the kind of trivia nuggets we're here to share with the listeners, Ken. So. Yeah, you are incredible. You, Bichet, Atos, man, you're just at a whole different level. You know. Now, 25 years ago, I knew all this stuff, but um, not quite as much as well as, as you guys do. But I can tell you, that guy in the center seat, that's Mr. Spock that didn't get past me. <laughs> So this is, you know, Spock and Uhura having a nice moment here. These are this is one of the scenes that people point to in the uh, in the Abrams timeline when they're like, "See, there was a or the, I'm sorry, the Kelvin timeline as we call it now." Uh, like there was there were some seeds of Spock and Uhura going going on back in the early days of the show. Right. Right. 
And of Boy. course, she mentions Vulcan having no moon. Which yeah. is, uh... <laughs> well, it doesn't. It has Delta Vega, apparently. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> whatever that is. Whatever that is, which. Planetoid, I guess. I don't yeah. Know. This was this was a uh, a good play for the both of them. I think it was pretty interesting. Um, Uhura fishing and Spock looking terribly uncomfortable. <laughs> for for a person who has no emotions, it is funny. Well, controlled emotions. It is funny how they they are betrayed quite often. And you know, and this really uh, establishes you know speaking of the no emotions that uh, uh, he just found out somebody in the landing party died, and Spock's like understood and Uhura's like how can you not feel about that you know I mean Captain Kirk's one of your best friends and he's like well my emotional state will not change the situation you know and they will call me if they have assistance so that that really establishes Spock pretty well right there I feel I think it does very very much so and uh, I like that uh, that kind of banter that goes across the bridge when they have those types of moments because you know I, I don't know where this term came up a lot but I've seen it in Star Trek a hundred times and I've never seen it 25 years in the military that request permission to speak freely, sir. Hmm. <laughs> does, no, does no one ask for that permission? Or? No. Um, usually, you know, like the, the, the CO, the captain, whatever will say, hey, you know, uh, opinions, ideas, you know, where, where are we going with this? What about this plan? That, that's one way. Uh, if everything's already been put out there and people have questions or problems, they can ask amplifying questions. Uh, depends on your audience and then you can also switch it again where it's just um you know just the captain telling people that this is the way it's going to be and you can tell by tone and directive this is not something that's going to be questioned hmm. you know that it's been vetted already so now they're establishing that mccoy can't even figure out why this guy's dead and they and they don't understand why the molding on his face was there or you know that plant in his mouth really had nothing to do with it so there's a mystery that's de- that's developing here so yeah i mean it has been 300 years since there were measles right yeah so. right we've cured all disease on earth <laughs> that's what it really uh, looked like and here we have kirk again taking it very seriously that they've lost a crew member Right. And, uh, you know, McCoy's like waxing about, oh, well, Nancy, she looked younger. And Kirk's like, look, I don't care about that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know? Just figure this out. Do your job. Right. Focus. It's important. See, M113. There you go. I heard it. I just was listening intently to the tense of his, uh, of his log. The cause of death was not poison. Like they're walking around drinking, like I assume that's coffee on the bridge, and their little paper cups. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're super <laughs> ultra modern paper cups, I think. The retro, you know, it's it's coming back into style in the twenty third century. So. Mm-hmm. Record tapes, although we still call them tapes. You know, when I say, "Oh yeah, I'm going to tape a show." Or did you tape this, tape that? I mean, I'm talking about my DVR, but I still say tape because you know I, I grew up in the in the age of VHS, so tape is tape is part of my you know lexicon. But uh, I, I don't know if, if if truly in the 23rd century they'll be calling things data tapes and stuff. Well, it's tw- it's 25 years before VCRs and all that fun stuff even existed. Mm-hmm. I don't even know cassette tapes would have been just around the corner. Reel to reel would have been what they were using back in those days, right mm-hmm. in the mid 60s. Yeah, where were 8-tracks? Was that the 70s? <laughs> that was late 60s and 70s as well. Gotcha. Yep. Fascinating. Here's Spock said fascinating. Yep. First time. First time. 15 minutes. Order. Yep. 15 minutes, 12 <laughs> seconds into their 
broadcast of the man trap was the first time that Spock said fascinating. I bet you Atos couldn't have asked that question if I asked him that way. <laughs> Bichet so could I, have. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I do wonder, uh, I guess, you know, we've never been able to test this, but if you did lose all the salt in your body, would you just drop dead instantaneously? That's a fair question, not one that I'm qualified to answer. Yeah. <laughs> See, Kirk was giving a hard time earlier, but now they're, they're kind of patching things up here. Sort of, kind of. You know, when he says, I should have been focusing on my job, perhaps you were. He wanted to make <laughs> sure that last piece is there is, you know, and that that's important uh, for good leadership, especially, mm-hmm. uh, you know, captains and, and, and just people in those positions as well. Don't forget what your primary mission is because other people can get hurt. Or if this had been something else and it took him a long time to figure it out because he wasn't focused, worse things can happen. Yeah. Like how this guy's like, look, man, you can't beam down here and interfere with our work. You're well, is is it really that pressing? You're archaeologists. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you put gold and blue together, you don't get red either. You get green, right? Mm, okay. True. Yeah. Yeah. There's still no red shirts around. That's it. That's interesting. You know, I mean, I know that obviously in the the cage and where no man has gone before, there were no red shirts. There were they were tan shirts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, there are. I mean, Uhura's wearing red right now, so they just they, they hadn't figured out that trope yet. But it is interesting that all these crew members. Die. You know, this is actually. Uh, I believe that uh, this is the only episode where like f- like multiple people die on an episode, and none of them are wearing red shirts. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure. Well, I guess we'll uh, see as we go here, but that's I, I think you're right about that. It's just interesting too. I think I mean they're all they're all figuring out what the um the color patterns were going to be at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, so security you, and whatnot. Well yeah, yeah, security comms and engineering were all red. Um functional support areas, but none of them are related. Uh, which yeah. is kind of interesting, you know. Like they should they should either have like one color or like a lot more colors. Three doesn't quite you know, get the point across. Yeah, yeah. Or if there was a system to involved, and I think they were trying to create that because even back when this was made, uh, you know, they obviously they were looking very much at, at how the Navy did things, and mm-hmm. and while officers and enlisted uniforms are different, their colors aren't really radically different. Khaki and blue, you can tell the difference. But on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier, this is where you see multiple colors. So well, that's would... all well and good, Ken, but we all know that Starfleet is not a military organization, yeah, so I don't know okay. what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, so you can look out on the flight deck, and you can tell by the colors of what they're wearing, which each person should be doing, and by having that, because you have a person who watches this the whole time, making sure that people are in the right place so nobody gets hurt. But you know you can you know yell to the guy in red, and he's he's the one in charge of let's say armament and the guy in blue is i don't remember all the colors anymore because i was never on a carrier but you know this guy was responsible for fueling this person was responsible for maintenance this person was responsible for launching you name it they were all color-coded and it and it actually works very very well on a ship and that's that's you know a lot of this this idea here makes a lot of sense except that the patterns really don't make sense you know what i mean the Uh idea is perfect but they haven't flushed it out yet oh and now blue shirt red shirt number two is dead Yep. And blue shirt or green shirt, red shirt, <laughs> number three is dead. So, so what, I mean, they've come down here to investigate because uh, in their records they found that, uh, or in Crater's request here, they requested more salt, which uh, apparently in a, in a hot environment the body needs more salt. I, you know, not anymore. Science is not my no, strong no, not suit, anymore. No. That that's funny too, huh? That salt tablets and stuff like that were given, but uh, being in some pretty hot environments myself, I can tell you, nope. 
I've never said, oh, you need salt. It's always been water. <laughs> yeah. Stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. Hydrate or die, as they used to say. Well, here, here, I mean, obviously the entire episode revolves around the crux that, okay, people have to start dying and, and you know, start this whole thing off. But they had been living, you know, the craters had been living on this planet and, and this creature had been living on the planet with them for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't need to be instantly start killing people. But then it's like, as soon as other people show up, uh, you know, and right there, that's the first time we actually see the change uh, on screen. Right. I don't know if it was supposed to be a mystery until now or not, but there it is, if there was any doubt. Um, but it's like, why, why did this creature just go on this ridiculous killing spree immediately? Like, because you not waited, like, like an hour and they would have beamed you down some salt without killing this guy you know well i think it's instinct right it uh because it, it is more of a, a creature more than an alien right is it well i i, I think that um it's like anything else i mean think of anything that uh, you see people that are addicted to that can't stop once they start mm-hmm. and uh you know because it's it's smart enough to know that if it kills its partner it's done it'll die itself right, right. but in this case Oh, it's got all kinds of uh, good food resources coming its way. Mm-hmm. And then you know, if you can if you can camouflage yourself and get away with it, right? Why not? I guess that's the, the thinking here. Yeah, I like the director the direction of this movie too. When they show the close ups of the eyes and the stuff and the face, and it just you can you can peel away the uh, the emotions underneath, right? You can feel like that that person there is not who it's supposed to be. They do a nice job right. with it. So there's somebody operating the transporter. I don't think it's Scotty. In fact, I don't think Scotty is in this episode. I don't believe he is either. And no. I think of it, which is interesting. Because yeah. he was in Where No Man Has Gone Before. So he was there in the second pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you see the technician in the uh, in the jumpsuits. If uh, Did you ever see a, a Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea? Uh, I'm familiar with it, but I've never watched it. Yeah, if you, if you ever watch it, the same jumpsuits are in both shows and they were produced really yeah pretty much around the same time and that i think that's where that concept came from the uh yeah i mean i always interpret it as like the uh they're like the chief o'briens of the original (laughs) series time you know not quite you know well you see lieutenant kyle and he's in a jumpsuit sometimes and sometimes he's in a uniform so actually i'm not too sure no he wasn't a lieutenant he was a chief back then oh really the original shows yep Mm -hmm. yep he was a um we saw him again in Star Trek Two, as uh, Commander Kyle. Mm-hmm. Here's a uh, Grace Lee Whitney as Janice Rand. Yeah. You know, now I heard, and this is, and this is kind of rumor slash urban legend about Star Trek is uh, the um, the salt shakers on that Rand had there. They they originally they, they looked like McCoy's medical scanner. Like they they was said, okay, let's invent some really futuristic salt shakers. And they said, okay, those are too futuristic. I, I can't even tell it's salt shaker. Which <laughs> we need to get something a little bit more contemporary. <laughs> so that's the urban legend. I don't know if that's true or not, but you'll hear that in a lot of Star Trek discussions. Yeah, I've heard that too. It's a similar story, yeah. Flirty birdies, yeah. huh? Those crews. How about that, huh? These, these. There's a lot of things date this show, and that, that's one of them. The attitude to, towards uh, towards certain things is just funny. It's, it's the '60s, right? It's the '60s. Oh yeah, yeah. You can't say that that attitude has gone completely either. Oh yeah, no, that's for it, sure. It certainly isn't as overt, but um, even in today's Hollywood, there's lots of scenes like that going on. 
object objectification. Now here's All the right. best special effect in Star Trek history oh, right now. Oh my gosh. Great Bird of the Galaxy. Little Gene mm-hmm. Roddenberry reference there. Oh boy. I don't know. Gertrude looks pretty good to me. It's <laughs> a good question, Sulu. Why do people call an animate object she, Ken? Because she's a beautiful woman and we love her. It's not a ship. <laughs> right? So this is uh, an interesting bit of continuity, too, per- unintentionally, perhaps. But, you know, Sulu was not the helmsman in Where No Man Has Gone Before. He was the, I think, astrophysicist. That's right. And and here he's uh, in the botany lab, you know. Um, so, you know, he has other interests outside of just the, the helm station and the sciences. Yeah. You see those little Windex things there on the, on the table with Sulu? I always find that amusing that TOS has those. Like, Oh, yeah, they're all over the place. <laughs> it's yeah. a 23rd century. they got a spray bottle of 409 in Sick Bay and <laughs> wherever else. <laughs> <laughs> those little salt shakers. Yep, and very weird cubed food. Yeah, like, uh, the, I always wondered how those taste. Like, if it tastes like a, oh, well, there's there's your hand going off on the plant there. What do you mean? No, no, that's a plant. I don't know what you're talking about. A hand. Clearly not that's a five-digit human hand sticking through a hole, that's for sure. No, 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 no. It's an incredible special effect. It was. Hey, it's practical effects. Abrams is all over that. You saw that in The Force Awakens. They didn't mess around. <laughs> practical, practical, practical. He's gone space happy. Yeah, it could happen. Well, I like that. You know, obviously, this is this is a creature, and, and not is not familiar with the Enterprise, so they're just kind of wandering around, getting their bearings. You know, uh, mm-hmm. not sure what's up. Um, and then you know the, the visual cue of of it continuing to like put its uh, hand up to its face when it's thinking. I mean, that's that's a nice kind of way you can tell like who's the creature when throughout the show, because because right. no matter what form it takes, it always kind of does that. And here we're about to get a nice little. In second moment with Uhura. Yeah. She gets a little eye candy to look at. And, you know, I, uh, I'm i not sure what it is about these early episodes of TOS. Maybe they were just seeing, like, what would stick or, or, or not. But, you know, you had Janice Rand around. You had Uhura getting moments, like, here with Spock, here again. She's singing in Charlie X. Like, you know, it, it, TOS in the earlier episodes actually did feel a little bit more like an ensemble show. They, they kind of spread the action around. The more did. of the cast, yeah. it seems. And then eventually they settle into the big three. But uh, it's nice to see you forget that, you know, it's a, it's a wider range of a bigger cast here that they take advantage of. Yeah, I'd have to remember now, Zach. I'm not sure. I know that um, as shows evolved and whether you were used or not, if you were under contract, you got paid. But I got the feeling that uh, that wasn't the case uh, at this time. Yeah, there are a lot of day that, players. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you weren't used, you didn't you didn't have to spend they didn't have to pay you. And I think as budgets got tighter and things along those lines, they stuck with the main crews more and more. Yeah. You know. So we haven't seen the creature kill anyone yet, but we're starting to see he's about to raise his hands or or she's about to raise her hand so you can kind of guess what happens when they get killed. Luckily, Uhura got called to the bridge or she would be dead. Yep, and there's a, and I wonder if that's part of the um, the space vampire piece of it too, you know, getting caught in the look of his eyes, like she was really mesmerized there and, and just, mm-hmm. you know, couldn't uh, couldn't function well. I like the continuity too of the hand to the mouth that they yeah. do with all the there it is all the different critters, yeah. 
And I like, you know, I like this. And uh, when, when you see people off duty, you know, they're not wearing their their overshirt. They're wearing that black undershirt to kind of relax a bit. I like yeah. that because so often in Star Trek, you see, hey, we're, we're at Commander Riker's playing poker and we're all in our uniform. <laughs> You know, it's like, don't you guys ever relax? You know? Oh yeah, but they, you know, they were they 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 looked like pajamas anyway, so I think they were pretty comfortable. Right. Well, it just it's a nice uh, delineation between okay, they're off duty now. I mean, you don't see it very much moving forward, but you see McCoy here, and they establish that there's these sleeping pills that he gave Kirk, which will come into play later when McCoy gets taken out of the picture. Right, but I think I think you make an excellent point. I, there is a lot of, um, you know, when, when you are on a ship. Um, for the most part, you are you are in uniform all the time, and the only time you wouldn't be is if you're in PT gear, uh, or and, that or that guy in a space suit for some reason. <laughs> well, yeah, a little environmental work he's got going on. You know, you got to have your, uh, as they call your 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 your, your PPE, right? right? Personal perfect, protective environment suits. Now here's Kirk. He was drinking coffee earlier, and now he's just eating. He's just. <laughs> This is very casual, casual day on the bridge here on the Enterprise. <laughs> this whole episode is very casual. The yeah. um, the back and forth between her and Spock was very casual. Right. Uh, the yeoman going down to see um, Sulu. Remember, Sulu is a lieutenant. Yeah. She's a yeoman, so she could be you know, not even a petty officer, a non-commissioned officer. And it's, oh, thank you, Janice, you know, that type mm-hmm. of stuff. So it, it is casual. Uh, it's, it is definitely casual Friday on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Love those nameplates for the, uh, for the, uh, the crew, huh? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm sure, surely those will be what we have on ships in the 23rd century. <laughs> oh, nameplates like that? Yeah. yeah. One thing they will have is that, that section that you saw. Uh, so, uh, the reason they have the, the little 3F and whatever that other number was, uh, so they know if there's, if there's a somebody's hurt or if there's damage in the ship they know exactly where to go they just don't say hey you know it's it's down on deck six they'll go no it's 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 after frame three section two and off they go so the creature here is kind of kind of moving on to mccoy huh (laughs) yeah he's a good looking guy why not you know she says i like your feelings better so you know yeah it's interesting. Now, this actress, I think she was at Star Trek 50, wasn't she? Was she? I, think she... I don't think so. Not that one I recall. One of them was. Oh, I thought one of them was. I can't remember now. I'll have to look it up. There were some There were some, some different cast members there from all different eras. Um, right. And a lot of them from the original series. Some of them holding out really, really well, considering mm-hmm. the timeline. Uh-oh. There's spacesuit guy. He's dead. Yep. So that's yeah, it's our fourth casualty now. None of which red shirts. Yeah. There you go. So this is deck in section. There you go, Sulu. There you go. Poor guy. No so, wonder why she's being calm with McCoy. She just ate. So now, yeah, now we have the present tense. Uh, captain's log so even in the episodes within the episodes themselves in these early episodes they're they're not sticking to one uh, tense future present or past right medical department alert (laughs) right all hands on deck I wonder how many doctors are on that ship yeah well there's Dr. Mbinga um, from season yeah. two and three, he's in a couple episodes. He's the only other doctor that I'm aware of 
Yeah, that kind of pops up. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad they, they established the fact that he's sleeping pills. So McCoy, he took one. That's why he's out. Uh, right. So that's a nice way to just... He's not just asleep. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but he did put on his uniform shirt again. That's true. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you see if there's any hesitation in the move of the camera? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there I are. I saw I saw the wall color change a bit. <laughs> just <laughs> but, a little. But I, I give them credit. That's a that's a nice creative shot. Uh, and I'm sure in 1960s television it was it was pretty cool. I mean, yeah. a lot of people watch this in black and white. You know, back in the day. Back in the yeah. day. So I like the fact that he pushed the button to open the door. So there's there's been a lot of um, jokes about the Star Trek doors, right? Right. So if somebody's upset or whatever, and they're just leaning on the door, the door never opens. But there's nothing to distinguish why, once you get to pass a certain threshold, why the door just doesn't open automatically. So it depends, I guess the computer can sense emotion and can sense the dramatic, all kinds dramatic of stuff. timing turbo lift. Yeah. Yeah. Now this is where. Um, the Navy SEALs learned some of their tactics on, on how to escape and evade fi- fire and, <laughs> and capture your enemy. So this is, this is a U.S. Navy training film, so watch closely, everybody. <laughs> I, was like, I was in the middle. Come on, guys. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, didn't they just catch the 21st century perfect in that? Somebody's talking or whatever, and the next thing you know, oh, somebody's on their cell phone. Like, that <laughs> takes precedence. Happens all the time. Spock cutting it. So Spock is now cut into his communication with the Enterprise. Interesting. Yeah. Add him to the group text. Mm-hmm. Plot thickens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Green looks better with polka dots. <laughs> looks like a heffalump or woozle. Well, Kirk had, Shatner had a little trouble there opening the communicator. <laughs> he did. General quarters. GQ, security three. So, so three, is three better or worse than one? Like, is it more intense? I don't know if it's if it's better or worse or if it's a type. You know, like a wo- woman in pants there. Woman, woman in, pants. in pants. And uh, yep. stock footage from where no one has gone before. You can tell by the uh, the old costumes there. Yep. So I guess three is intruder alert. That's what it is. Because, so you know, it's, it's, when you hear people say, I want a level one diagnostic. Or, I want yep. a level three diagnostic. Well, which one is... <laughs> Which one is more? <laughs> you know. Yeah, I would assume a one is more, but that's just mm-hmm. my my thinking. All right, here we go. Here we go into oh. some incredible contact combat skill set right here. This is the kind of action NBC wanted in their first episode. <laughs> yeah, they got the lasers going. Mm-hmm. Was that a lion statue that? Yeah, he's next it's to? interesting. Uh architecture these aliens had uh-huh. Kirk being a good uh, analyzer of the situation yeah I like there that Crater go. has a cage era laser 
uh, yeah, kind of see the the, cool. the 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 cheapness, if you will, or the the reusing of props, kind of adds a certain amount of continuity to Star Trek, just by the it fact does. that they're reusing props, and I really like it. Sure, here's a great scene, huh? We're almost getting the whole ship, the whole bridge. Mm. So, I mean, it's interesting here because. There's a lot unsaid about the creature and what it's thinking this entire episode. And, I mean, this is the creature right here. And why it has gone up here to, I guess, research what's going on, you know. And uh, uh, you want to, you, you think, you think to yourself, like, what what is it thinking? <laughs> right. Right. What's pretty good here, too, is the uh, the cross-functional talents of the bridge crew. Which we see set demonstrated all the time. Yeah, Here's so, the so there's Look at that move. Oh, yeah. You see that move? <laughs> I couldn't have shot him. There's no way. So shuffle. When, the shuffle when, of the feet is key. Oh, it really was. I mean, I think he went um, three inches one way, four inches the other, and um, that'll make all the difference. I, I love it. I love the tactical stuff here. It's all fun. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Displace as much sand as possible. That's right. <laughs> of course, his position was just given away. Put that by on silent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. We love these shows so much. And it's got some really good stuff going on yep. here. Ew. I like that. I think the coolest thing about the Enterprise is that its main phasers can be set for stun, too. Oh, yeah. They can put, like a, they, they can they put a whole continent to sleep, yeah. I guess, in theory, you know? So they've slowed down Crater's voice here because he's been stunned. Uh, I like I, I like that. It's a, it's a cool uh, side effect of getting hit by a stun phaser. Uh, yeah, it but is. not being knocked out. A lot of people don't really like, what's wrong with the audio here? No, it's an intentional choice. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. So now we're finding out what's going on from Crater. He compares the creature to the buffalo, which is, yep. I'm not sure if that's the best analogy, but... Uh... Yeah, it's relevant, I think. You know, at this time, too, um, the endangered species list was really just getting up there. And, um, you know, in, in today's world, it's funny how many um, things have come back. You mm. know, I mean, so whole... whole um, Species like the bald eagle and other, they were just about gone when I was a kid. And wow. uh, the idea of ever seeing one is was beyond. Now, now I see them, you know, somewhat frequently. So it, it's it's amazing. So it's it's a good, it's a very adept analogy, I think, because at that time that was on a lot of people's minds. Spock always in the past tense, being analytical. Mm-hmm. So that's creepy that he he can't even really remember when she died, you know, because it's been although his memories have kind of been blurred by the fact that this creature has taken over her identity. That's right. Oh, general quarters four, Ken. Yeah, I don't know what that means though. It means nobody touch anybody. <laughs> Mm 
Yeah, exactly. That's why it's not the best analogy. <laughs> I agree. It's not the best analogy. But I get what they're going for. I mean, and so what do you think? Because there's a lot of criticism toward this episode. Can a lot of people say, well, this wasn't our best outing. I don't know if this is what we should have shown in the first episode. Even many of the cast, I know Leonard Nimoy has said that. Um, you know, you look at an episode like this and you compare it to an episode like Devil in the Dark, right? Where mm-hmm. it's kind of similar, yet they take the the moral high road and they don't really kill the creature uh the horta in that in that case but here they do they just execute the creature um do you feel like that's like a discontinuity between like you know starfleet star trek or do you feel like both approaches make sense in in the context of each you know what i'm saying well correct me if i'm wrong and it's been a while since i've seen this episode so i guess we'll see in a few minutes um the stun just didn't seem to work um, and they had to keep leveling the amount that they they were up in the game. I, and and that's what I understood to be. Maybe I'm wrong. Hmm. You know, that's a good. And, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. We'll have to. We'll have to look when that happens. Yeah, that's a good yeah point. I have to see when that happens. But I, I, you know, plus it already had Kirk in its grips. Yeah, I which, mean, it's right there, right? I mean, you can't. Yeah, <laughs> and if you looked at the stun setting, you know, obviously uh, the professor was knocked down or whatever, but he wasn't completely incapacitated. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if he would have been able to keep his hands up or not, but. To your to your other point, I don't think this was a bad episode to launch with. I think that there was a um, an identity that came along with science fiction back in these days, whether it was Lost in Space or you know um, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea or any of that stuff. You know, you, you did have that kind of a creature element, and I think in trying to infuse and get people to watch um, by pulling in something that was a little bit common, but adding this extra dimension to it you know the mystery to it the sci-fi element the ability mm-hmm. to um get into your head and and see what you want to see that's where it really gets interesting to me right so i think it was okay well I, and i think I, I think part of the 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 disappointment on the um you know the cast and crew of the show that, that nbc picked with this, this one is because star trek was supposed to be something different you know it's supposed to be a different brand of sci-fi and like you said there are a lot of tropes in this that are from you know, Lost in Space and a lot yes. of those you know era uh, of the era shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, common tropes, but scale and scope was much bigger. Mm-hmm. So this is interesting. Kirk is gonna. He's basically said, "Look, creator, we're gonna we're gonna let all this go if you just tell us where the creature is." You know, he's I'm not gonna hold you responsible for the death of these crewmen, but you need to tell us if you can see it. And so this is a this is a kind of a really warped relationship here between the professor and the creature, huh? I would say so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It it delves into an area that's that's a little creepy. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like it. Well, just you know, that, but but that's the unsettling part is of it is what makes it so interesting. I feel it kind of sticks with you more than just a generic monster of the week. Like there, there's there's lots of deeper, creepier things going on here. It's unsettling, and it like sticks in your mind. It does, yeah. And here we have the creature masquerading as McCoy, part of this conversation, kind of trying to be its own defender. Um, mm-hmm. But it, but it can see now that they've pretty much said, "No, we got to kill it. It's killing our people." So, yep, it is interesting too that he says he can see it, and it's right in front of him. Yeah, it's right there, and he says nothing. Shatner acting move right there. Yep. (laughs) 
to serum, of course. <laughs> of course. Good, uh, it's a good save there, creature. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah, I guess we can use that. Yeah, I mean, I don't like to, but sure. That's the only way to win. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Pointing to your guy who I don't know. <laughs> mm hmm. But, you know, I guess there has to be a point of addiction here because obviously the creature does not need this much salt to survive, right? It's, it's been surviving just fine off their salt tablets for a year, maybe two, right? Um, and yet now it's just gone on this killing spree. Uh, so maybe like once it gets a taste for, for fresh salt, it, it can't, it can't, you know, wants to keep quenching that, that thirst, huh? Yeah. Well, it's like, I, I guess, you know, it's like a, uh, a person who, uh, an alcoholic who's been dry for months and finds himself in a bar. Mm. Uh, they get a little bit over the top, I guess. An, an open bar. <laughs> an open bar. So it's turned on Crater, killed him. Now, in one yeah. of the original drafts of the story, they were not going to kill Crater. And, oh, is that right? Yeah, and at the end of the episode, he was going to beam back down and search for another creature because this was his whole life on this planet, mm -hmm. which is, you know, maybe more poignant way to end it, but... Uh, you know, I, I think it's just fine. It, it kind of tied everything up nicely here, yeah. tied up all the loose ends, which is a tragedy all the way around. Mm -hmm. Here we go. Mm -hmm. It was a bigger room than I thought. That's a cool camera move there. You know, they followed him in the door, then swiveled around. Lots of dynamic mm. camera moves in this episode. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't recall. I don't know enough. Where's Mike Schindler when I need him? You know, <laughs> did they have the over-the-shoulder handhelds going in those days, or was everything on a dolly and pretty heavy? I don't know. Creature kills. <laughs> like seriously, like you just killed a man, and yet you see this little bit of salt. And you're like, oh, I gotta have that. You know, it's very instinctual. Um, Come on now, what's your favorite chips? <laughs> <laughs> Popcorn. You just can't stop. Chili cheese Fritos. Well, uh oh. If you uh -oh. insist. Okay. Hope you have lots of toothpaste. Yeah. See, like, look at that. Like that. That desperation of like a junkie. Like, oh, the drugs. Yep. I can't let them go to waste. Yep. I like how he has the phaser now. Mm -hmm. And then we see the hypnotism start to kick in. Yep, he can't move. And the, the suction cups in the hands, a very interesting way like to transfer the salt. I, I like that, you know. Uh, yeah. No! Of course, Spock. Some kind of version of Vulcan Kirk Fu there. <laughs> right. This is before when uh, this is before Nimoy had uh, figured out the Vulcan neck finch. <laughs> we just have Spock brutally beat this woman. Yeah. And of course, he was yelling pretty loud too. Right. A little bit of emotion there. Well, and there was discussion again. This is, comes from Mark Cushman's book uh, about like, look at the end of this episode. Like, does everybody see Nancy the same? Like, do we need to cut between all these shots? And mm -hmm. um, and boo, there's the creature, right? Now, yeah. I think that's a very effective creature design. 
What do you think? It is. Man? It is. It is an awful looking thing. It's it's hideous and it's like somewhat sad and it's very alien and Shatner's really selling it as he always does. Yeah. Just a shoulder injury though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's wearing clothing, so it's not just like an animal. You know, it is part of a civilization. Is it? Yeah, that that rag kind of is like kind of like a makeshift dress of some kind. We'll have to see again after this uh, after this shot. Now, I, I, just, I didn't see I him. It was just for. I didn't see him crank up the setting there, Ken. No, no, he didn't. He didn't. Yeah, see? Oh, it's got a net. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah. But hey, you know, the the climax of the first episode of Star Trek, it's got the Trinity in this one scene. So it kind of sets up the uh, the, the trimulative? Tri- tri- <laughs> I'll just take yeah. the Trinity. But <laughs> Yeah. Nice, nice shot here from the uh, new remastered version yeah. of the ship, yeah. That's some of my favorite stuff in Remastered is like a new planet orbiting effects so we don't have the same thing over and over, of course, in the 60s. But here we got some more dynamic angles. Yeah, and I saw a pretty cool shot on Facebook where they were actually able to upgrade the whole bridge. Oh, I saw that. That is so cool. (laughs) That does look cool. And, and, you know, it's interesting, and I think it ties in well to a lot of the the things you're hearing on Facebook about Discovery, how Brian wants to change the aesthetic and make it more believable. and, And, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. And uh, just just like the reboots did, I mean, the technology's come so far since the original series, you've got to make it look believable today mm-hmm. um, with capabilities beyond what we have. And um, there's a cool reverse angle on the view screen there. I yeah, like that that's pretty remastered. cool. Yeah, I just hope they don't completely throw out the aesthetic just to update it. Uh, that's well, I think concern. you can have a balance, so to speak, but at the same time, eh, they did okay. I, I mean, we'll, we'll have to see what it comes out. Like, like I said, I, I did like the. Um, the uh, the uh, JJ uh, versions of the of the bridge and stuff, and I hope you. Oh, it's an ice store or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I get it, but it, it it looked pretty cool. I mean, especially the uh, the window view screen stuff was pretty neat. Right. You know. But anyway, hey, that was a that was a fun episode to watch on Star Trek Day. Huh? What are you yeah, What are your thoughts? I, I know, right? I mean, it, it holds up. You know, it, it's like I said, it has a bad rap, but that's, that's a solid episode of Star Trek right there. Uh, there's a it lot of intrigue to it. It adds an extra yep. layer than your standard Monster of the Week stuff. Lots of emotional things at play, and and a good emotional climax for Bones there. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's, it's funny, you know. I think that when you were when I was a kid and I was watching these shows, and they would cycle through it what every three and a half months or so, or four months, you know, seventy nine episodes. It didn't take long. Yeah, one a day. Uh, yeah. yeah, and and then when you you know you come back and you'd watch it again sometimes um, because of the weight of one episode versus the lightness of another or the technical abilities that were used, you, you can kind of come, you know, come back to something like this and you just go, yeah, okay, that was kind of silly. Um, when you watch it on its merits based on time passage, uh, what they were trying to establish, not being, I guess, um, deluged with a lot of Star Trek, you're right, that episode plays very, very well. It was a, it was, it was a great episode. It was fun to watch. And uh I, I, I enjoyed going through this commentary with you very much. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun to look back on what audiences saw 50 years ago this very day. That's It's, just, it's crazy to think that, that was that was Star Trek. That was all Star Trek was for one week of time. That hour of television was the entire uh, Star Trek in its entirety for the public. So 
and 50 years ago today. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Amazing. Yep, the show still looks good after 50 years. Yes, it does. You know, and you just got to look past that. I know a lot of people can't get past the aesthetic of the 60s, but you got to embrace that. You know, you can't hold... Uh, I can't hold that against a show that's 50 years old. Like, oh, it looks like it was filmed 50 years ago. I'm like, well, that's just a silly... That's just a silly argument, you know? And yeah. even, even for the time, the production value was great. It was, it was. And, I mean, I know Color TV was brand new, so they're trying to get the vibrancy of those colors. Uh, but, you know, it, it was funny because you, you watch it through the lens of the past, and one of the you, you see kind of the um, the guys staring at the girls and all that stuff. Okay, I get that. And <laughs> and, and that, that might be, um, you know, considered uh, not politically correct today. However, I would say... That a lot of the uh, the things that they they showed in this episode would have been eye opening at the time. There were no women on warships at all. Zip zero in 1966, and there's there's all these women on starships with prominent roles doing um, good things. Uh, and and you know, to me, if you think about it, especially to women of color, you know, in Ahura and so forth and so on, amazing, right? I mean, think about it. This this launched 50 years ago. And um, and and you saw things right off the bat from a whole new light, and I think that's uh, that that's pretty cool. I think it set the stage up well for what the show was going to be about, and um, it pro- I'm not saying it was even close to being the, one of the best episodes of Star Trek, but it's definitely a very good episode of Star mm-hmm. Trek. I would watch next week if I were watching in 1966. You know, <laughs> sure, why not? Why not? It's all good stuff. Well, I've had a fantastic time discussing the man trap here on Standard Orbit. This isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week, so here's a quick look at some of the other things you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, The Ready Room. I saw most of the original series with my grandfather between the age of like two and five. So a lot of my early, early impressions are based on can a two- or five-year-old basically sit through an episode and find something they like in it? Okay, Kirk is running around like a horse, which is kind of fun, I guess. Standard Orbit. When it was asked of him if he would be in a role or would be willing to take a role at Captain Kirk, he has come to grips with the fact he is too old to do any of that stuff, and it just wouldn't work, which I thought was very telling. And a great joke about Leonard Nimoy. You know, it's one thing when you go back in time and you still find yourself being old. Yeah. That means you're really old. <laughs> that was a good line. That was a good line. Meta Trex. The only thing it was missing was a Geordi PowerPoint. Yeah, about the closest thing we have to a Geordi PowerPoint in, in Star Trek Beyond Mike is Spock trying to point out the location of Uhura's radioactive tracking device necklace. He gave her a radio tracking device necklace. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at Trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscription button. That makes it easier for our listeners to find the show when they search for iTunes. And we love new listeners, so please, please, please subscribe directly to Standard Orbit as well as the Trek FM Master Feed and help us increase our visibility for new listeners. Also, we would ask you to help us out with Patreon. Well, what is Patreon? Well, Patreon is the method that we use to fund the network. So I would encourage you all, if you can, if you can afford it, to go on to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Trek FM and become a patron. And for as little as $15 a month, you can join Trek FM's patron roundtable, which is wonderful. I mean, this is how I found my way onto the network. And who knows? 
what could happen to you, right? You, you might find your way. And then if you're kind enough to donate $25 per month or more, uh, you get associate producer credit for the shows of your choice, and that's a big deal. And speaking of that, we would like to say thank you always to our associate producers for this show, for Standard Orbit, Renee Roberts, Richard Rutledge, and Aaron Harvey. Thanks so much for all of your support for both Standard Orbit and for Trek FM through Patreon. You can find Renee on Twitter at MRES underscore 1701. Richard, you can find at at RUT8972. And you can find our buddy Aaron Harvey at GeekFilter, all on Twitter. So look them up, follow them, and uh, and thank you again. And if you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look into the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. And please leave us a voice message that we can play here on the show. You can hear your own voice on the podcast. Pretty fun. So feel free to do that. And you can also contact us through Twitter at TrekFM or through Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. And the Babel Conference. To find us at the Babel Conference, type The Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook. Or go to our website at Trek.FM and click Discussion on the menu bar. Babel Conference is a great way for you to connect with fellow listeners and the hosts of the network. So as for me personally, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman TV show. And we're on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. What about you, Ken? So you can find me as well on the Babel Conference. That's where I like to hang out. It's my favorite spot on Facebook, to be honest with you. It's the safest, funnest, uh, most respectful spot to talk Star Trek on the entire interweb. So look for me there and feel free to also look for me on Facebook at any time and feel free to IM me with questions or, or, or if you just want to hook up and be friends. Or you can, uh, you can get information from me via Twitter. Yes, I am on Twitter now at Boston SCPO. That's Boston Senior Chief Petty Officer SCPO. And I look forward to communicating with you in between these shows and especially when they drop. That's when it's a lot of fun. So we'll talk to you soon. So thanks, everyone, again for listening. And join us next time here on Trek.fm for another episode of Standard Orbit.